Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Hartford has a new mayor. Luke Bronin took over for Pedro Segarra at the start of this year, and he's had to hit the ground running. A new minor league baseball stadium plan, cooked up by his predecessor, is behind schedule and over budget, and fixing this mess will be the first big challenge of his administration. But of course, Luke Bronin also has to think about the rest of the city budget, development and jobs, schools and public safety, and a lot more. Today, where we live, we'll sit down with Luke Ronan to figure out what's first on his agenda, and you'll get a chance to ask your questions, 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. You can always comment on our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Luke Bronin, welcome back to where we live. Congratulations on your new position, and it's good to see you. Thanks, John. Good to see you. So what do you do in the first week as mayor? Well, what I'm doing in the first week of my, as mayor is different than what I thought I would be doing in the first <laughs> week as mayor. What I'm doing right now is uh, is trying to work through this baseball park mess, uh, as you described it. Uh, you know, we obviously uh, we've got a real tangle on our hands. Uh, it's going to take some working through. I think everybody understands how much is at stake and that we can't afford not to figure it out. Well, when you look at all the various issues we have, maybe we can just go through them. I say that the um, the ballpark is is behind schedule and and over budget. Let's talk about the behind schedule part. Uh, there have been a number of of meetings over the course of the last week or so that suggest that the uh, Eastern League, the league that the Hartford Yard Goats are, are going to play in, didn't really know that the schedule was going to uh, to be pushed back. It seems fairly likely now that we're not going to have baseball played in Hartford in April of 2016, just a few months away. Um, where are we with the schedule right now, as far as you know? Look, I'm, I'm not in a position to make any predictions on schedule. I think uh, everybody wants to get the ballpark open uh, and the team playing as quickly as possible. Um, what have you heard about that schedule as of right now, though? You heard some skepticism uh, from the developer and the, uh, and the team and some others uh, in the stadium authority meeting on Tuesday. Uh, I think that skepticism is warranted. But at this point, you know, we, we've got some other things to work through uh, uh, even as we're working through schedule, and all these things are tied together. So what are those other things you have to work through? Well, as you said, you've got a significant budget shortfall. You've got uh, what's been identified as a $10.3 million shortfall on a $56 million stadium. Uh, so we're talking about a roughly a 20% cost overrun. And uh, that's, that's huge. And for a city where the taxpayers have already been asked to shoulder an enormous burden here, not just the $56 million of building the ballpark, but also uh, many millions uh, in infrastructure work around the stadium, uh, and we're going to be paying $4.5 million a year in debt service on that for the next 25 years. Uh, we need to make sure that the pain is shared. So you, you talked with R. Jeff Cohen uh, about this the other day, and I know it's something that, uh, that you're having to grapple with. There's the question of whether or not the city will have to pony up some more money to get this ballpark project done at all or on time. But then there's the long-term obligations uh, for the bonds, and you're talking about something like $4 million plus a year for 25 years, meaning that you might just need to put some more money in now so that you don't have to pay a whole bunch more down the road. I mean, 
how exactly do you juggle these two priorities? Well, look, I, th I think you juggle them by trying to get the best possible deal for the taxpayers. My, my responsibility is to look out for the taxpayers, and uh, I have no interest in burdening the taxpayers with additional spending now. I also have no interest in seeing the baseball stadium sit there in rust and the development around the baseball stadium fail to proceed because that's what's supposed to provide us with the revenue to pay this $4.5 million in debt service for the next 25 years. So we, we there's a lot of promises, a lot of commitments made to the taxpayers of Hartford. My responsibility is to them to get through this mess in a way that protects them as much as possible. So, so if you need to come back with more money to get this ballpark built the right way, more or less on time, does that mean going back to the taxpayers now with the explanation that we need to start spinning off revenue from this, we need to start paying these long-term bills? Uh, needless to say, that's not where I want to end up, and we're uh, deep in negotiations right now. And, and you've had private negotiations with the, with the contractor uh, and, and others, right? It just it, within the last couple of days, you've been meeting behind closed doors, essentially. I've, I've met with the – I've been meeting uh, in public and behind closed doors. Yep. You know, we had a stadium authority meeting that mm -hmm. uh, went on for uh, about three hours plus the other day. Uh, I have sat down both with the team and with the developer, developer uh, separately and together, and those discussions you know, need to continue. One of the things that the developer has said is that the city, over the course of time, uh, put in some change orders, things like uh, uh, a big coffee cup that steam comes out of because it's Dunkin' Donuts Park. There was another thing that we saw in an email about how more structural steel was going to have to be, uh, be purchased because there were certain height requirements for parts of the ballpark uh, that uh, weren't originally met by the design, so now we have to order more structural steel. Um, essentially, do we know what the ballpark is supposed to be at this point? I mean, are you in negotiation to, like, change the actual design, strip things away so that it's coming in under budget at this point? Is that the level of negotiations you're at? Look, we're, we're two months away from what was supposed to be the date of uh, substantial completion when, when, the, when the thing is done. Uh, there's not a lot of time to change design. Uh, I, I came into this, as you know, uh, uh, pretty late in the game. You know, I, I voiced a, a lot of concerns and a lot of skepticism about this project throughout, uh, from, from the start and throughout the process. But at this point, I don't think it, it's really the right use of time to figure out you know, wh where the point, fingers should be pointed. There'll be plenty of time for that later. Right now, what we've got to figure out is uh, how we get through this mess, how we get the thing open uh, on time in a way that allows the team to start playing and generate revenue that helps us offset the burden. The, the generating the revenue part is, is, of course, really important. And when you were here as a, as a candidate, you expressed some skepticism about the, the way the overall numbers have been put together and some of the projections that have been made. Obviously, if the ballpark doesn't open up on time, all of those revenue projections get pushed back. I mean, if you're not playing home dates, you're not making money selling concessions or doing anything else uh, around that. Best case scenario, I mean, are the numbers going to work here to actually be able to pay off the debts, or are we going to have to really think about holistically restructuring the development around the ballpark, thinking deeply about this, because I think you and I both agreed <laughs> you were running for mayor. I was talking to a lot of people about it on a daily basis. None of the numbers really added up about hotel stays, ancillary revenue. I mean, they were just never going to add up in the first place. So what do we do now? Well, as you just said, I, I have always been of the view that the taxpayers were going to be uh, shouldering a portion of this, that we were not going to generate enough revenue to offset the $4.5 million a year plus the debt service on the other work that we're, we're doing. So uh, 
the question is how do we minimize that? And, and it's in two ways. It's on getting this thing back on track as quickly as possible, and it's also about making sure that the rest of the development around the stadium proceeds on schedule as quickly as possible because that's where a lot of the revenue comes from. It's the permitting fees uh, in the meantime, and then it's the, uh, the pilot payments, the payments in lieu of taxes under a t- tax fixing agreement over the next you know decade plus that generate that revenue. And, and talk about that, that development that's around the ballpark. For people who don't follow this on a, on a regular basis, you're talking now about a hotel. There's a bunch of mixed-use development there. These are all things that are supposed to spin off revenue. This is the same developer that's building the ballpark right now. So you have to deva- uh, develop and maintain, I assume, a pretty good relationship with this developer who is coming in, not just to build a ballpark, but for the first time in 40-something years, building something on these parcels of land just north of I-84. There are a lot of pieces uh, to this puzzle. You know, the other parcels, as you said, were meant to include some mixed-use residential development, a grocery store, and the initial uh, plans, uh, a brewery, the Hooker Brewery. Uh, There has now been a proposal to change some of the residential to a hotel. That's a proposal that we're reviewing. The city council will have to take a look at that as well. But we're not there yet. We need to get through the ballpark uh, mess before we can get there. You know, uh, the success of the development around the ballpark depends on having a ballpark. Not just because it's the same developer, but because nobody wants to be building anything around a hunk of steel. I, I want to just get to a couple of quick phone calls because people do have questions about this this proposal, how it affects the city and, and the surrounding area. Jonathan's in Stanford. Hi, Jonathan. Go ahead. Hey, John. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, sure. Mr. Mayor, I have a question because um, you hear a lot about cities that build ballparks and then get stuck with the bill and bonds that go unpaid, like in Seattle, Seattle's Kingdom. Um, is there any kind of contingency with the developer where – if there isn't enough ancillary revenue to cover that debt service, that they will kick in any kind of portion, 25%, 50 whatever. Uh, th- there is not. You know, there, there are fixed agreements. The, the revenue for this, you know, without getting too, too deep into the weeds, there yeah. are really two, two sources of revenue. There's the, the taxes that come from the development around the ballpark, and there's some agreements with the team about the lease that they will pay and some shared revenue there. Uh, but, but if that all falls short, you know, the taxpayers are on the hook. Uh, Jonathan, thank you. Uh, one more call on this from Dave and Vernon. Hi, Dave. Look, I think the bigger philosophy on this is that, you know, I mean, it's all like this end justify the means information we get from the government. I mean, essentially, you wanted a ballpark. Well, not you, but your predecessor wanted a ballpark. So we look kind of at the rosiest picture and the rosiest way to look at it. You had that guy from UConn saying a baseball stadium was going to produce 3,000 jobs. I mean, and what happens is you get this, like, anger at the government for being dishonest with you. You could have just said back in the beginning, look, we think it's going to lose a little money, but we think it's worth it to clean up this, you know, what do they used to call it, the butt-ugly building or whatever, the ugliest building in the state? That's what it was called. You know, I mean, you, you said, let's clean that up, renovate it, and it'll be a benefit to the city even if it doesn't make money. I mean, that should have been the argument. Instead, what we've got now is you want to keep your doctor you can keep your doctor, which is just another lie, and it turns the rest of us off. Well, Dave, thank you very much for that. And, and there's a lot of that, obviously, Luke Ronan, that you can't really do anything about, obviously. Look, what I can what I can do is what I'm trying to do, which is talk as openly and honestly about the situation we find ourselves in, mm-hmm. which is that the last thing we want at this point is a but ugly stadium that is half built and sits there for decades. So we've got to get this done. We are where we are. Uh, I, I do believe that uh, taxpayers are going to be shouldering a portion of this for, for many years to come. Uh, 
And my job is to make sure that we get the best deal possible for the city of Hartford and for the taxpayers. And that's what I'm working on doing. And there's a lot more stuff to talk to Luke Bronin about. And I don't want to spend the whole time talking about a ballpark plan, but it is the biggest thing that's sort of looming over the city right now. Uh, switching slightly on this, this, um, this parcel that we talk about is we talk about it as a parcel because it's well, it's the first place I ever came to Hartford. I came when I was living in Boston to come see a Whalers game, and I parked in one of those parking lots. And I walked across these empty, vacant lots, and, and I went to the Civic Center. And I thought, my goodness, um, they, I wish they'd do something here. And I drove by it for years, and then I, I lived here for years, and there's still nothing done. And so the fact that something's going in there, I think we can all say, that's probably good. Um, that said, I know that during your mayoral campaign, you spent a lot of time talking with an awful lot of Hartford residents who have felt, felt very disenfranchised in the city, especially north of I-84. I talked to a young man named Maurice Eastwood, who I know you know, who's an activist in the city, and who said, I don't know anybody in my neighborhood, anybody, who's going to spend any money to go to a baseball game because I, they don't have any money and they don't have the time to do it because they're working hard. So given all this, I know it's supposed to work and I know you want to make it work despite all the hand that you've been dealt. But talk about that piece of it, how it fits into a city in which so many people think a baseball stadium, God, that is just the last thing we need. Well, look, I, again, sitting where we're sitting now, yeah. the way it fits in is we need to make sure that there's not just a drain on uh, the public purse taking money away from things that could be going to other things that matter. You know, the priorities that I talked about during my campaign that I want to be focused on in this administration are economic development, job growth, youth employment, uh, youth engagement and recreation, uh, rebuilding and, and revitalizing our neighborhoods and our corridors like Albany Avenue, Franklin, and others, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, and the way this all fits in is minimizing the drain uh, on, the, on the public purse so that we can have as, as much as possible to focus on the other things that really matter. The other thing I'd say is what success, on the ballpark and the development around, to me what success really looks like is reconnecting downtown to North Hartford. Yeah. All, it's, that is the gateway to Albany Avenue and to North Main, and down the road, I'm not talking about on opening day, I'm not talking about even three or four years from now, but down the road, what we should all be aspiring to is to reconnect Albany and North Main to the downtown, to try to promote and support uh, the small businesses that are on those avenues, that employ local residents, that create that sense of community, and try to bring those quarters back to being a, uh, a center of commerce. And when the caller talked about, you know, uh, the very rosy jobs picture, about how many jobs are going to be created by a ballpark or even the surrounding development, talk about that connectivity, too. I mean, the, the need for jobs, specifically in certain neighborhoods of the city, that have been felt left out by the building and progress that we have made. Look, the city of Hartford as a whole has an unemployment rate that's about double the state average. Uh, but certain neighborhoods, the northeast neighborhood of Hartford, has uh, an unemployment rate of 27 percent. Mm -hmm. That's higher than it was during the Great Depression. There is a desperate need for jobs in our city in general and jobs that are accessible, whether because they're in that neighborhood or because they are accessible and on public transportation routes, uh, that are creating opportunities for residents of the city of Hartford, no matter what neighborhood they live in. That's, that's top priority. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to ask Luke Bronin about a lot of other things, uh, things that he probably wanted to worry about when he took uh, office as mayor as opposed to just this ballpark. I'm sure we'll have more questions coming from you as well about that at 860-275-7266. This is where we live.
This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Today on the program, the mayor of Hartford, Luke Bronin, he just took office, and we've been talking about the ballpark project that he's, well, sort of having to rescue right now. We've been talking about that. We'll take some of your calls in a moment at 860-275-7266. Let's quickly get to uh, a call from Mary in Hartford. Hi, Mary. Go ahead. You're on with the mayor. Good morning. Congratulations to Luke. And I just want to say it's great to hear him talking about how fine a place Hartford is and its extraordinary potential. And I'm curious, how is he going to control or manage the powerful regional development proponents, many of whom grew up in Hartford or work in Hartford, who have big ideas like the stadium, like the iQuilt, like moving Gold Street, that go against the interests of the city residents, but city residents wind up paying for them. How is he going to help some of these regional titans of the industry, commerce, and nonprofits see the needs of the of the neighborhoods, and that sustainability or or more localized uh, economies are better for Hartford. Thank you, Mary, very much. Thanks, Mary. So, first of all, you know, I don't think these things have to be in tension with each other. You know. It, I talked a lot during the campaign about the importance of, of revitalizing neighborhoods. That's going to be a real focus of mine. You know, one thing that I'm excited about is that CRDA, the Capital Region Development Authority, now has a part of the resources that they've been given to the state dedicated to investment in neighborhoods. A portion of it's even for the promise zone specifically. Uh, I hope that that'll be a piece of uh, an effort to revitalize Albany Avenue as well. Uh, so I, I think we need to just continue to prioritize neighborhood development. Uh, I have, as I've been rebuilding uh, and staffing up our Office of Development Services, created a new position that's focused on community and small business development. Uh, that's a priority of mine. I will say, you know, with respect to some of the things you mentioned specifically, uh, I quilt, you know, there's been a lot of, lot of discussion about that. That's a long way down the road. Uh, you know, it's, it's come a long way uh, down the road. Uh, I don't know that that is contrary to the interests of residents of Hartford. I, I do think that Hartford has a legacy of tremendous urban planning. We were a real leader in the parks movement and in tying the city together and making uh, it a walkable city. And through some bad decisions in decades past, we've lost some of that. And, and some of those plans are about trying to get some of that back. And I don't know that that is bad. What we have to do is always uh, keep our eye on the, the broad range of, ch of challenges and priorities we've got and do our best to you know, make progress on all fronts. I, I think a, a big piece of Mary's question that, that's so interesting is often on our program we talk about how the state isn't able to plan correctly because we're all these 169 municipalities and we don't work together across town lines. And then in places like Hartford, there is a sense that outside interests kind of come and poach the city and, and uh, mold it to its interests in a way that doesn't happen in the rest of the state. And, and that's something that residents of the city have often felt, right? It's, it's nice to build things for suburbanites and make sure that we're making connectivities, but at the end of the day, the people in the city of Hartford are paying for it. And that's why we need to focus back on our neighborhoods. Uh, but at the same time, let's not forget that the Excel Center, for example, does matter to the economic health of Hartford. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about the restaurants or the businesses that are downtown that are paying taxes, that are help providing some of the revenues and the resources that allow us to do the other things we need to do, uh, we need a vital uh, property tax-paying downtown district as well, like any city does. Uh, so that's why I say these things aren't necessarily intention. Uh, in my inaugural remarks a couple of days ago, you know, one of the things I said was, uh, 
that we can't be successful without the region and the region cannot be successful without Hartford. And our biggest challenge as a city and as a region is the fact that the lines are drawn so narrowly. There are very few other places in the country where you have a center city like Hartford uh, that is 17 and a half square miles. And we have around us one of the most affluent regions in the country, uh, but we don't share in that tax base. And there is this sense of you know, in, in independence, home rule that, that divides those towns. We have to get over that emotionally. We have to get over that from a policy standpoint. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to be able to reach anywhere near our potential as a city or as a region. Uh, quickly back to the ballpark in just this one way. Uh, Josh tweets at us, is construction that makes the city poorer better than revenue neutral empty lots? Is construction that makes the city poorer better than revenue neutral empty lots? L- empty uh, lots have a- been there for a very <laughs> long time, uh, but it, as we as we start to build, all of a sudden it costs us a lot of money. Look, I, I, again, I, I was always concerned about the decisions to, to make this investment. Yes. Uh, I was always concerned about how the numbers added up. I was very concerned about the revenue package. But we're, we are where we are, and if we can get through this current mess, if we can get the development on track, do I think it will be better to have a mixed-use development with a baseball stadium north on the north edge of downtown that connects up to Albany Avenue than it is to have empty lots? No question. Mm-hmm. I, can I just ask an, about another a piece of development in another part of the of the city? What's what's happening around Coltsville right now? Of course, we've gotten this designation from the federal government. I mean, it's going to be essentially a national park. But what happens around Coltsville and how does that fit into all the other planning that you have to do for downtown and the edge areas around it? Well, I think what, what's happening at Coltsville is really exciting. You know, the fact that uh, Congressman Larson was able to get this national park designation through Congress at a time when not a whole lot was moving through Congress uh, is something we should all be really, uh, really grateful for and proud of. And it's a real opportunity. And uh, it's tied in with some very successful economic development uh, efforts in the old Colt factory. You know, we've got some companies that are that are looking at moving in. We've got some companies that have moved in there. Uh, it is uh, a, a, a residential neighborhood with tremendous potential. So I think it's really exciting. Right next to uh, that, of course, is Dillon Stadium, the uh, the football stadium that's sort of been sitting there for a while. And there was quite a bit of talk, including quite a bit of money spent, on the notion that there would be a professional soccer team playing there. Um, that, of course, is yet another thing that kind of blew up in the city over the course, not literally, but it uh, metaphor- <laughs> metaphorically blew up uh, in the city over the course of last year. N- sitting where you are now, do you have any better sense of what went wrong with the Dillon Stadium plan? Well, I, I think what went wrong with the plan is that we didn't uh, we didn't do a lot of background on the investors who were pitching us the plan, or I should say, the prior administration didn't do a lot of uh, background work to understand who they were doing business with, and the city essentially was defrauded of uh, a couple of million dollars. We obviously have to avoid that uh, in the future. You know, it, it's that to me was unforgivable. Uh, with respect to what the future holds for Dillon Stadium. Uh, I think we need a little time to figure that out. You know, we need to have some community conversations and, and figure out what the community, both down in that Coltsville area, uh, want to see, what the community more broadly would like to see, and what the options are. You know, there, there are a lot of people out there who I think see a lot of potential in the Dillon Stadium uh, area, and, and rightly so. So we'll, we'll have to invite those proposals. We'll have to review and vet them very carefully, and we'll have to have a community conversation about what we want. We're talking with Luke Bronin, the mayor of the city of Hartford. We'll take some of your calls in a moment at 860-275-7266. When you, when you go around the city now and you talk to people, 
Um, what are you hearing about the big priorities from people? And are you hearing really different priorities from different neighborhoods? No, not really. You know, I, I think the big priorities are the ones I talked about a little while ago. The big priorities for everyone are jobs, uh, jobs and economic development. And uh, that will be my priority throughout this administration. Uh, there, are, there also is a lot of focus on quality of life issues. You know, I think sometimes the, in the past we've lost sight of the fact that the small stuff matters, whether we're talking about blight or uh, abandoned properties or litter. Those are things that, uh, that we need to get better at from the city. There are also things that all residents of the city and those visiting the city can help out with. You know, I think we all need to take pride in our neighborhood, take pride in our city, and, uh, and take care of it. Well, what about the downtown development? Something that we've heard for, for many, many years is that it's, it's really hard to get a new business started in the downtown business district for a few reasons. One has to do with bureaucracy. It just takes a lot and a lot of paperwork and a lot of time to, to be able to start a business in downtown Hartford and make it successful. Then there's the other problem that so much of the real estate in what should be the most vital business district in, in the city is tied up by a few companies, often absentee landlords, that have held on to what are essentially vacant storefronts. Right next to those vacant storefronts are big surface parking lots that make people a lot of money but don't necessarily generate uh, economic uh, revenue for anybody else other than the person who has the parking lot. What do you do about that, about the fact that so much of your downtown seems tied up in either bureaucracy, uh, absentee landlords, or big old ugly surface parking lots? Well, you know, a lot of the big buildings in Hartford have changed hands recently, and there's a new there's a new set of owners that are that are in here, and I've I've begun meeting with them, sitting down with them, building those relationships, and and telling them, uh, sharing them my view that for their own interests, for the value of their properties, they need to reactivate the street. They can't afford to have those uh, street level retail shops sitting open, sitting vacant. Uh, We've got to go get those reactivated. We'll do everything possible from the city side to facilitate that, including going out and hunting for it, recruiting uh, businesses, uh, and uh, and doing anything we can to facilitate the, the permitting approvals process. Uh, but I've also told some of those big developers, or the, rather the big big landlords, you, know, you guys may need to take some losses on those uh, on those storefronts in order to reactivate the street, so we can get that virtuous circle going, uh, where you've got feet on the street that lead to more business, that lead to more feet on the street. So, so those meetings help to sort of loosen up uh, some of these landlords, talk to them about the need to reactivate, but then what has to happen next? I mean, how do you then reactivate the space? We, we follow up. We follow up, as I said, by by recruiting businesses, by identifying small businesses, by inviting them in, by making City Hall a, a more responsive place that when somebody reaches out saying we'd like to look for a space to open a business, we get back to them quickly and we get everybody who has a piece of that approval process around the same table and, and working quickly to get it done. When you're recruiting a new, new business, I mean, what are you thinking about? What sort of businesses do you think we need in downtown Hartford? Well, I think we need I think we need anything that helps draw people and keep people. You know, we uh, we've got some new coffee shops that have uh, sprung open recently. Uh, Blue State Coffee, Sarah's Coffee, those are uh, both great places. And uh, and I think they see that with the new uh, residential building that's been done, the new feet on the street, uh, and the prospect a couple years down the road of Yukon coming downtown, mm -hmm. that there's a real opportunity here. So I'd love to get some more uh, some more restaurants, some more coffee shops, but also like to get some retail back in the in the center city. Do but you, let me just yeah, say, you know, when we talk about small businesses – it's not just the center city. In fact, I mean, small businesses are the heart of our main corridors. Maple, Farmington, Franklin, uh, you know, uh, Albany, North Maine. And so when I've, when I've 
created this division inside development services that's focused on small business and community development. That's why I did it, so that they'd have a person and a place in City Hall that was solely focused on trying to facilitate the growth of and uh, of those small businesses uh, it, all throughout our city. To, to that end, because some of these corridors are so important, some of them you know, really do well despite all the issues, and some of them seemingly have all the advantages in the world and they, and they struggle. Are, are you a believer in a kind of an organic building of different shopping districts or retail districts or a, a planned development where you say, look, we've got to activate a certain space because we, we believe we can in, attract more investment, we can uh, put more public transportation on it if we target, say, an Albany Avenue or a Park Street, as opposed to just saying, let's just try to get it organically coming in you know, over the transom? I think it's both. I think you got. I think you got to do both. I knew you were going to say both. Which do you think about? I, I think about how we can use our tools to create an environment in which there is organic growth. So you look at a. You, you just mentioned Albany Avenue again. Look at a place a lot like uh, the corner of Woodland and Albany, mm-hmm. which is a multiple acre lot sitting at a strategic corner on Albany Avenue that changes the whole way the avenue feels. If we could spur some development there, I think that would help create an environment on Albany Avenue where. Business owners around say, yeah, now it's time to put a little more money into fixing up my own place, doing some facade improvements, maybe expanding my businesses. Other people come in and say, there's a lot right there. It looks a little bit different now that that uh, other big vacant lot is activated. So it's, it's, uh, to me, it's about how we use the tools that we've got, uh, that our development services department has, the resources that are potentially available from the state and DECD uh, and CRDA to create an environment in which you can get that organic growth. But we do have to prime the pump. You know, when you have when you have uh, a city that is uh, languished a little bit for for too long, you got to prime the pump. Uh, we got a tweet from Evan who says, "What does the mayor think of prioritizing transit options in the governor's plan for Hartford residents who don't have cars?" So the governor's got this big transportation plan. It's going to take in all sorts of stuff. It's uh, it's highways, widening of highways, which some people think is a good idea. Some people don't think it's a good idea. Uh, a lot of investment in rail. How about uh, prioritizing for for cities like Hartford? Well, you know, rail rail is a real opportunity. The the one of the things that's on the table uh, that the governor has pushed is this uh, commuter rail, double tracking from you know New Haven, Hartford, Springfield, and getting uh, seventeen trains a day in in uh, in each direction. I, I think that will be uh, very significant for the city of Hartford. So uh, I am uh, strongly supportive of that. Uh, the busway, I think, has you know is actually turned into a real opportunity to to regenerate some areas of the city. You know, where where those busway terminals are, uh, there's the possibility of doing some transit-oriented development, and I'm going to pursue those. Uh, There's also the possibility of making some significant changes to the layout of the city when I-84 is redesigned. The Department of Transportation, others are deep in the process of re-envisioning I-84. To me, what we as a city need to push for in concert with our legislative delegation, in concert with our federal legislative delegation, uh, is to put as much of that highway as possible below grade so you can deck over it and reconnect the city, making it more walkable, making it more bike-friendly. All of that's interrelated. But the chance to reunite parts of the city that have been cut in half and separated by that disaster of a design decision to build I-84 through the middle of Hartford many decades ago is is a real... It's a real possibility, but it's one we're going to have to fight for. Yeah, and, and, and tell me about that fight. I mean, obviously, you worked in, in uh, the governor's administration. Uh, how do you approach talking to the DOT? Because this is a long-term planning process. And like everything else, I mean, 
it's going to cost a lot of money. But when we talk about anything like building a ballpark, that's a little bit of money <laughs> compared to decking over a massive highway that goes through the city. I mean, I, talk about having that conversation and how you get that to happen. Well, the reason it, the reason it can happen at all is that I-84, the, the I-84 viaduct, the, viaduct, the raised highway, is reaching the end of its safe and useful life. So there is no choice but to redesign and rebuild it. Uh, now they could rebuild it exactly as it is. They could rebuild it, uh, you know, at grade and just run it across the city. You, you could uh, theoretically, you could tunnel it the way uh, it's been done in some places. Uh, what I'm proposing, I think, is the most uh, would be the most cost-effective way to reunite the city uh, and to do what the DOT has to do for safety reasons: rebuild the highway. Um, as part of that conversation, you know, the pitch that I that I make is, if if you look at places where they've done it. Boston's one example, but there are others. It really does create an opportunity to stimulate huge amounts of economic growth. I mean, if we could free up some of that territory in the heart of the city for development, uh, that has the prospect of grant meaningful grandless growth. Uh, it also uh, has the possibility of some additional green space that uh, that link, you know, whole neighborhoods and large corporate campuses all together so that, uh, you know, we, we start to feel like one city again physically. Okay, and can I just loop back then to an earlier question? Because I, I was uh, jamming together a few things, so I didn't get a chance to really ask about surface parking in the, in, in the city. Right now, it, it's fair to say that there's lots of places where the city could be reconnected, but we have big swaths of concrete. Yep. Um, and that's, that's really just a matter of talking with people who own those properties and reimagining what we might do with them, I think. It's that. It's it's making the case that, uh, you know, to, it may be taking a look at our uh, our tax structure and how we tax vacant property like that and surface parking lots. Uh, it's also about creating an atmosphere and environment in which people see the prospect of growth uh, and are willing to make the investment to build something on something that's been sitting fallow for a while. Mm. Uh, the prospect of growth is uh, actually gets to some of the next things I want to talk about. Um, before we take a break, I just have to ask a couple procedural qu uh, questions, yeah. uh, things that uh, you're obviously facing when, when you come back in. Um, I've asked you about this when you were, when you were running. Uh, your wife, Sarah Bronin, is Hartford's planning and zoning chairwoman. Uh, now that you're mayor, um, do, do you see her role, because it's such a critical role in all the things that we're talking about right now, as any sort of a conflict of interest, and has there been a conversation that you've had about whether or not that's a position she's going to keep during your, your tenure? You know, she, she is in that position in a term appointment that runs till 2017. Uh, I, I don't uh, think she should uh, step down from that. I think she's terrific at it. I think she's the best planning and zoning direct, uh, uh, chairperson we've had in a, in a long time. And she, part of the reason, uh, beside from being a uh, professionally expert in that arena is that she spends a lot of time engaging with neighborhoods, engaging with the community to understand community priorities. Uh, and I think that's something that we need. So uh, I don't see it as any conflict of interest. You know, it's an unpaid position. It's one she spends an awful lot of time on uh, as a volunteer. She's deeply passionate about it, uh, and she is very independent-minded. And this is, uh, this is an arena in which she is uh, a national expert. And, you know, she, she's just completed uh, a rewrite after many decades, a rewrite of Hartford's planning and pl uh, uh, zoning uh, code uh, to make it really a national model, uh, form-based zoning. It's, it's something that, uh, that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but it's a, uh, it's a really important thing, and I think it's something we should be proud of. Could, could you imagine a scenario, though, in which either she or you would need to recuse yourself from some important decision because of a conflict of interest? Uh, again, recusal comes into a 
place when there's some kind of a personal interest or a financial interest. You know, neither of us would have a financial interest in any of the decisions. You, you might very well have a political might, interest in something I, moving forward. I, I that might, you, I can, the I can, Luke Bronin plan is, is on the table, and I think it, it's fair to ask. Yeah. yeah, but that's no different from any time that a mayor appoints their planning and zoning chairperson. Absolutely. Presumably when a mayor appoints a chairperson of a commission like that, you're looking for somebody who shares your vision. Uh, do I anticipate that there are going to be times uh, when we disagree? I do. I think there probably are going to be some times when, you know, I wish she'd take a different position or she wish <laughs> I'd take a different position. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, there, there's, there's plenty of room for that. Uh, the other quick procedural thing is um, there was a bit of talk just as you were uh, taking office about a $20,000 raise for the city treasurer, Adam Cloud, is something uh, that, that I'm sure that you talked to him about. He essentially had, had written a raise for himself into the budget. Um, I'm assuming the way it went is you talked to him and he decided that he was not going to, to take that raise. Um, that came at the same time that you said that you were not going to accept a $20,000 raise that was written into code for you. I guess I'm just wondering if you can talk about whether or not uh, Adam Cloud, the city treasurer, is going to get a raise of any sort moving forward that you know of. I have no idea. You know, we, we as a city are facing a, a very large deficit. You know, we've got, a, we've got a deficit this year, this current year. So between now and June 30th, we're, we have about a $4 million shortfall that we're going to have to figure out how to make up in the next six months. And we're facing a $25 million shortfall in the year ahead uh, that we're going to be wrestling with through the budget process. So, you know, I, I, I don't think this is the time to be speculating about uh, uh, raises in general. We'll have to deal with this across the board. Now, every position, you know, it's appropriate on any position to look at what the appropriate compensation is. You know, look at comparisons. Uh, look at uh, uh, similar uh, similar positions in other places. Uh, but uh, right now, you know, I, I'm not I'm not prepared or interested in having a conversation about raises in general at all. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the situation we find ourselves in. When you when you appraised Adam Cloud for essentially saying he was going to give back his raise, you you made note that um, by statute, the pos the position that you are in was getting a $20,000 raise. And what you said was that you were going to work unpaid to make up for that. I just want to make sure that that's completely clear because the, the release that we saw, the statement that we saw, made it sound like you were giving back $20,000 to the city. And I don't know that that's exactly what's happening. Could you just explain? Well, for, for? sure. I mean, by, by charter, the mayor's salary is set at $167,000. It's linked to a superior court judge. So it, it's supposed to adjust that way. Uh, I decided that I was going to take enough furlough days that my effective salary would be $20,000 less than that. So over the course of a year, I am giving back $20,000 that I would have been uh, entitled to by the charter. But to me, it's important to just send a message uh, and set the tone right from the start. We're in tough times, and we're going to have to make some tough decisions. And uh, I was prepared to, to do that from the start. I'm sure we're going to be asking others to make some tough decisions as well. Uh, we're talking with Luke Bronin. He is the mayor of the city of Hartford. There's a lot more to get to, including some of your questions at 860-275-7266. You can also uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up on Monday's show, U.S. Representative Elizabeth Estee will join us the day before she heads back down to Washington for President Obama's final State of the Union address. You'll get a chance to ask questions of the 5th District Representative. Coming up on the next Where We Live, today we're talking with the mayor of Hartford, the brand-new mayor of Hartford, Luke Bronin. He's taking some of your calls at 860-275-7266. Richard is calling from Hartford. Hi, Richard. Go ahead. Yes. Good uh, morning. Um, when we're talking about jobs and high employment rate in North Hartford and future employment by city residents, I'm wondering why more city residents and minority contractors haven't been hired to work on the stadium. Um, and I'm wondering if there's any plans in place to hire and train city residents for good jobs, not only on the stadium, stadium but on all developments paid for by city residents. And before any contractors are signed, cannot this be a part of the deal? Mm. Richard, thank you very much. Thanks, Richard. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a great question. It's an important one, and uh, and I agree with you. I think when we are spending uh, you know, public dollars, we should be uh, using it as an opportunity to create job opportunities uh, for for Hartford residents, for uh, residents of high unemployment areas, and uh, and we should be uh, insisting on that in the deal. In the stadium, it, it is a part of the deal. You know, there's there's actually in the documents that were agreed, there's a requirement that forty percent of the the uh, the hours, the man hours on the project uh, go for uh, go to local residents, uh, and that 25 percent of the job uh, be done through minority contractors. Uh, you know, uh, there are questions uh, that have been raised about whether that's been met. Uh, you know, I I had planned to dig into that question uh, early on. Right now, I've been just trying to keep this project on track. But it is a uh, is an important question that I'm uh, that I will be focused on, and one of the things we need to do is make sure that our compliance monitoring, our enforcement, uh, is effective. You know, not just on this project, but on others. Uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, we we've got to we've got to focus on workforce development and on job creation beyond just construction. You know, it, it is imp- it is important to make sure that the, uh, a, a, a good portion of the construction work that's being done in a city uh, creates an opportunity for for city residents. Uh, but I also want to make sure that we're creating other opportunities, and that's why I'm so focused on trying to grow and promote small businesses uh, around the city. You know, I've, I created a, a number of working groups during my transition that uh, that really are address the priorities I've got. One of them is uh, this Hartford Works idea, it's looking at s- something that's been done in New Haven and some other places, getting a lot better at connecting job training opportunities with actual employment opportunities, building those connections with employers from the start. So you're not just training somebody so they get a certificate but they got no job at the end. Rather, you're training somebody for a specific job opportunity that, that's available. That's, that's going to be uh, a hard thing to do, but it's a critical thing to do, and it's, uh, it's something we're going to try hard to do. Uh, I want to rapid-fire through a bunch of things. We just got a, a quick email, somebody asking, uh, is there any chance at all that a, uh, a new casino comes to the, the north end of Hartford? You know, I, I've, I've expressed my, uh, my skepticism, my concerns. I, the biggest concern for me, is that we not repeat the mistake of always chasing after the shiny object when it comes to economic development in Hartford. I think sometimes the mistake we've made is, is thinking that it's always got to be this long pass down the field rather than uh, a good ground game. And I, I am a little bit worried that a casino would suck up so much uh, of the time and attention of my development services team uh, and just of the, the discussion in the oxygen room in general that we lose focus on those priorities. 
Uh, I have said I am, you know, I'm not, I'm not close to any conversation, uh, but I would need to understand very, very clearly what the benefit to the city of Hartford was, to city residents, uh, and there would have to be a robust community discussion. So, you know, at, at this point, it's not something that I'm actively pursuing. Uh, last time you were on, you talked about uh, your plan called Safe Streets, Strong Neighborhoods, a plan for public safety in Hartford. Uh, sadly, we had a very bad year with homicides last year in Hartford, and we've already had one so far this year. Um, how do you implement this plan? Well, that plan had 10, 10 proposals, 10 pieces of it. Uh, I'll talk about a couple of them. Sure. You know, one is the need to rebuild our police force to get our numbers back up. We're down dramatically uh, over the last few years, and we do need to staff up. And, you know, as I said before, that's not because we want to arrest our way out of the problem, but if, rather because if we want to do community policing, we need to have enough of a, a presence on the ground that, that the police officers can be out of their cars, in the neighborhood, building those relationships, building trust, and doing true community policing. So that is a piece of it. That will take time. It takes time to recruit. It also will take money, and we're going to have to figure that out. Uh, we're On the other hand, we're paying a lot of money in overtime right now because we're so small. So uh, there, it's, it's a balance to be struck. Uh, the, uh, some of the other important pieces of that uh, are some things I already I just talked about. You know, youth employment is a really important piece of this plan from my perspective. Uh, I've called for the creation of a youth service corps, you know, putting, putting young people directly to work uh, in our community, doing things that are visible and will be felt in our neighborhoods and will also create that sense of pride and put some money in the pocket of the kids who are working. And uh, that, that, to me, is deeply intertwined with public safety. If you look back at examples of that in history, whether it was the you know, Civilian Conservation Corps during the Great Depression, or even what the city of Waterbury did when they hired uh, young people to shovel snow on snow days, uh, it, it, can be, it can be enormously successful and important. And so that's, that's a big piece of that for me. That's going to take some, uh, some private funding. So I'll be, I'll be fundraising. I'll be going out to donors, both, both those who are big institutions in the city and, uh, and those foundations uh, or other philanthropists who take an interest in engaging disengaged young people. And, uh, and I'll be you know, making a hard sell that this ought to be a priority. Uh, a big piece of all that, of course, is education in the yep. city. Uh, last time you were here, we're talking about the Hartford Choice Program, you said there's an awful lot of chance involved. It's not just choice. The lottery process is a hard one to navigate. It's not all that transparent. Not all that easy to figure out uh, how best to position your kid to get them the best possible option. Um, that one piece of Hartford's education is just something we can talk about. How do we make this process more transparent? How do we maybe change the way uh, we're able to provide school choice but make it something that actually works for more city residents? One of the things I think we have to do from the start is strengthen the coordination between the Hartford Public Schools and CREC. Uh, which you know, too often have been competing entities, and I think we've got to get them everybody around the same table. Take a look at the years to come. What does enrollment look like? What are the what does everyone's projections look like? How do we stop you know fighting over students uh, and instead just start fighting for the best education we can for every student? And I think getting everybody at the same table is a piece of that. Is, 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 it, is that notion wrongheaded? That I mean, the, the whole idea that we fight over students, I mean, we just laid it out there. It just dawned on me that that's really what we're doing. We're setting up a competition for students, which seems like a crazy way to actually build better schools. Uh, I, I think it is a, a crazy way, but I think Having had a lot of conversations with, with folks all around, I think everybody recognizes that. And I think there is a willingness and a desire to get everyone to the same table, to start doing some long-term planning, to look at the enrollment challenges that we have. You know, one of the problems in Hartford right now is that we've got a number of schools that are operating way under capacity. 
which means they're spending money on all, we're spending money on all the overhead that comes with operating a school, but we have hundreds of seats sitting mm -hmm. open. Uh, we need to plan for the future, and we need to do that uh, together with CREC, with the state, uh, and uh, we need to do that uh, in a way that recognizes that we've got to be, we, we can't just build our way out of this problem. We have to strengthen our neighborhood schools as well. Um, you know what's happening with Clark School right now, the school that was shut down because of PCB contamination? It wasn't uh, going to open at all this year. Is it going to open again? Do you know? You know we're still waiting on the, the results of the, uh, the analysis and the, the investigation uh, into you know, what's producing the, uh, the, the PCB uh, contamination. Uh, I, don't, I don't yet know, know what that will show, and we'll have, to, we'll have to make those decisions based on what the facts tell us, both about you know, the state of that building and also uh, the enrollment challenges that we face. Have you looked into the possibility of contamination in other buildings? We did a big investigation into this about the fact that many, many school buildings built within certain time frames, including some that are in Hartford, may indeed have PCB contamination. Is this something that you're, you're looking into or planning on looking into? I, I do plan on looking into As you said, this is a statewide issue. You know, there's, there's a national certain issue. Thing. National issue. There, there, there are buildings that were built, uh, you know, during a, during a period of time uh, when, uh, when, when some of these chemicals were, were used. One of the questions I think that, that Clark should help uh, us understand, hopefully, should help us answer, is how it is that that material that was contained in some way became, became airborne. Uh, next, we just have a minute left. Next school year, uh, starting in the fall, are your kids in, in Hartford Public Schools, do you think? Uh, you know, we, as, a, as you and I talked about when we, we talked been. about this show, uh, we are deep believers in, in Montessori education. My kids are in a Montessori school. Uh, they, all three of them are in the same school, uh, and I think we're going we're gonna to keep them where they are. It's been, it's been uh, for our kids, we think it's been uh, a great uh, uh, experience, and, and, you know, we, I think I have an obligation as, my, as a parent to do what's, uh, what's best for my kids. Uh, but uh, as mayor, my obligation is to create the best educational opportunities I can for every kid in the city of Hartford. You like the job so far? It's like a week old. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Are you walking to work? I am. Yeah, so you, yeah. you live a couple blocks away from City Hall, right? So you're yeah, able to walk I, to work, see I, what's going on? I, I walk to work. It's a, it's a you know, little bit longer commute than it was when I, had to, when I worked at the state capitol. <laughs> but I like to walk. I like to walk to work. I like to walk in general. I try to walk around the city as much as I can. Oh, there's a lot to see in the city and a lot changing. It's now, a beautiful Luke, city. It really is. And, and we're very glad to be here, and we're glad to have you uh, join us for the hour. Luke Bronin is the new mayor of the city of Hartford. Thanks so much for coming in. Happy New Year to Thanks, you. Thanks, John. Same to you. If you want to continue this conversation, go to WNPR.org slash Where We Live, our program produced by Lydia Brown and Tucker Ives. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Our digital editor is Heather Brandon. The executive producer of Where We Live is Katie Solarski. Thank you to our interns, Amanda Gallagher and Sarah Flaherty. I'm John Dankosky. This is Where We Live. <laughs>